0: I'm Lil Elmo, and I'm here to tell y'all all about my bona fide giant shrimp gumbo. What's a gumbo, I hear you ask? Well, my friends, it's only the cornerstone of Cajun cooking. It's a thick seafood stew filled with okra, sausage, and pretty much any critter you can lay your hands on. If it flies, swims, or crawls, it can go in the gumbo pot. This right here is my special recipe made with only the finest giant shrimp this side of Infant Island. It's boiled with only the best Cajun spices to kick it up a notch, BAM! So come on down to my restaurant and try a bowl, and like they say down in New Orleans, Laissez les bon temps rouler. let the good times roll. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Michael.
1: What's up, everybody?
0: Oh, we finally got started. (laughs) We had a few false starts here, but we we finally got it going.
1: (laughs) I told you, Travis, we should have used that as a blooper reel, but whatever. It is what it is. Yeah, well, I I don't
0: think we need to extend our episodes any longer than they already are. (laughs) That's
1: true. That's true.
0: In fact, we are packed to the gills this episode with a lot of great things, uh, seeing as it's uh, 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 Sea Monster Month. Hint, hint. (laughs) Gills. Um, (laughs) And so we're going to dive right into the news. Cue the beady beady. Cue the beady beady. So, our first bit of news comes uh, to us from ourselves. <laughs> we're going we're to talk about the results of the last Kaiju Clash. Oh, so, nice. Michael, let uh, you want to share with the class what the results of the last Kaiju Clash was?
1: Absolutely. And I'm going to say, winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> it, <laughs> because in the last episode or last segment of Kaiju Clash, we had two Titans of both Toho and Daye going head to head. The first one being Biollante from the Toho side and Mother Legion from Daie, uh, the Gamera uh, franchise. So the results from the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group, um it was 39 votes to 18 votes in favor of Biolante, And I'm gonna, just going to go through here really quickly um, and read some of the comments. Uh, Raul Thakur wrote, "Biolante is immortal and can evolve like Shin does. She'll lose the first fight but win the second, which is pretty much what I said when we were doing our Kaiju Clash. Uh, James Jackson then then added uh, underneath Rowell's comment, "She also has the spirit of a human. We are inex inexorable, inexorable. There we go in a sticky situation, when, which means we can we have our uh, we have the ability to prevail even when things look terrible." Uh, and uh, the see Michael Edwards wrote, "I love Biolante, but Legion would annihilate almost any opponent." Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna no. Uh, yeah, we're just gonna disregard that one.
0: Uh,
1: and well. Ra- Ra- Raiden, I- and IKEA or not IKEA? I'm sorry, IKEA, <laughs> not IKEA. Uh, Akita, Raiden Akita, I love you, man. Uh, he's one of the uh, moderators for the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group. He's a wonderful guy. Um, he said, pretty sure that Legion would win if for no other reason than the bomb. So, you know, it was sort of split uh, between, the at least in the comment section, it was sort of split between um, Legion and Bialante, But overall, the groupie, the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group voted in favor of Bialante 39 votes to 18.
0: Yeah, and so yeah, we also posted it on the Kaiju Weekly Twitter, and we had twenty-two votes on there. Sixty-three point six percent went to Legion, and thirty-six point four percent went to Biolante, which means <laughs> which means that fourteen to Legion and and uh, eight to Biolante. So Legion won out on Twitter. Um, we had a couple of uh, comments. Alex Sperling said, I love Biolante, but her weakness to energy and heat projectiles makes her weak to Legion's many energy-based attacks. Her roots work to break down armor, but I doubt she can fight with two-pronged, can fight the two-pronged attack of the Legion Queen and her swarm at the same time. Henry, the host of It Came From a Monster Movie, said, I haven't listened, but Legion... Though granted, they probably would like to cross pollinate byalante and have a whole spooky ecosystem set up, which does is sound
1: interesting. Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's a that's a. I don't know. Well, you who so against kaiju shipping, but yet you're okay with byalante and legion cross pollinating.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I, I plead the fifth. I
0: plead the fifth. And then Alex Cornette, co-host of Monsters vs. Men in the 13th Floor podcast, uh, commented saying, listen, as much as I love Bialante, she got breathed on a little bit and died. <laughs> <laughs> By that bad goji breath, yep yeah, and then we also had one comment on our uh, YouTube channel where we posted the uh, the Kaiju Clash as a separate video. It says uh, it's from David Brown. I say Queen Legion would own Byalante. And then he said, great video, guys. We've got a new subscriber. Thank you very much, David Brown, for subscribing. And I want to make sure and encourage everyone who listens to this to please go and subscribe to the Kaiju Weekly YouTube channel. Because we have grown on every platform except for YouTube. YouTube, we're just kind of stalling out. And so I would like to see us grow on there. In fact, I would like to see us maybe reach 100 subscribers by the end of June. Don't know if that's going to happen, but let's see if we can do it. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, thank you, David. Bottom line is, Biollante won, but
1: barely. I wouldn't say barely. I mean, it it wasn't a landslide like I was hoping for, but I wouldn't say Barely. I told you when we
0: went into that uh, that fight, probably I don't think we recorded it, but I, I told you when we went into it that I thought Biolante was gonna win just because Biolante is the more popular kaiju. So
1: Well, it's good to know that people also agree with me that Biolante is probably the more powerful, not just the most popular between the two.
0: Boo! I think you're wrong, but anyway.
1: <laughs> well, just wait, okay. we, just wait till we do the next one, Travis. You'll see. You'll see. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So now, getting into the actual news, um, <laughs> we've we've got the first bit of news, which is for the first time ever, Western fans can enjoy the complete adventures of Ultraman Zet, uh, the new Ultraman series, and his allies in storage. The entire series on YouTube after each episode airs on tv in japan and then they're going to take it off of youtube after two weeks so if you are interested in watching ultraman z ultraman z or ultraman Z, uh then you have you have to go to the subaraya uh pr- what is it subaraya productions youtube channel yeah that's right yeah
1: there'll be a link and uh, there'll be a link in the show notes don't worry
0: yeah, yeah, we'll put we'll put a link in there for you to go and check out and watch along with everyone who is watching it. Um, but like I said, after two weeks, the episodes are taken down. So you have two weeks to watch each new episode. Um. So, yeah, uh, Michael, we both watched the first episode. Do you want to just do your initial reactions to the show? We're not going to do a not going to do a deep dive review of it because we're probably going to save that for like a bonus episode in the future.
1: Sure. Um, my initial reactions were, it was awesome. I, re- I I liked it a lot. That is really what I, that's really all I can say because you know, the episode got off to a really quick start. Uh, it opens up literally with a monster attack from Gami's, um, you know, the, the new robot from the new storage robot. Looks fantastic. The suit does look phenomenal, and so does the Ultraman Zet suit. Uh, that outfit looks phenomenal as well. And we got to see uh, this brand new shark, alien shark kaiju that was pre-previewed a few months back. And let me tell you, that beast is pretty powerful. And so, I, you know, it was, the episode. Over, the episode overall was a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to watching along with everybody else. It's it's really a unique opportunity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I am so glad we've been saying for, uh, about a month now, you know, we hope that they'll simulcast it somewhere where we can watch it. And so, uh, it's glad, I'm glad that we have this news that we can do that. So, um, I think we're going to try to do a bonus episode coming up soon for, uh, where we can review the first episode for, you know, give our full first impressions and everything. Um, but just like you, I had a lot of fun with it. It is a lot of fun. So um, I encourage anyone who is interested in Ultraman to go and check it out. Um, the next bit of news. We've got a lot of Ultraman news this week.
1: <laughs> Which is kind of <laughs> weird. It's kind of weird to have all all this Ultraman news. But yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, the next bit of Ultraman news is after months of intense, uh, intense anticipation Uh, Marvel has revealed the rise of Ultraman number one and it's going to be released in comic shops this September featuring a stunning main cover from legendary artist Alex Ross. Marvel's upcoming series will reimagine the classic beginnings of one of the biggest worldwide pop culture icons Ultraman. And so the yeah that that um, cover by Alex Ross is the regular cover and then they also have nine variants. Um, which also includes a blank uh one they they usually do blank covers for these as a as a variant. so uh, yeah, that's the news, Michael, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Looks amazing. I'm looking forward to uh, I'm actually looking forward to getting my first issue, so, yeah, I mean, I, I will definitely be reading this,
0: yeah, now there was a um a one of the variants that was revealed. Um, I can't remember. Doo-doo-doo. I gotta pull it up and see. Um, it was
1: the uh, of uh, it was a close up shot of Ultraman with Spider Man on his shoulder. It was,
0: yeah, that. I was trying to remember which artist it was though that, that oh. did that one. Um, I can't remember. Ah, ah, um, um, uh, Chris from Gargantua Cast, help me, um, because <laughs> you know, uh, but anyway, <laughs> um. I, I forget who the artist, which artist uh, did that one, but anyway, but yeah, that, that variant cover, I will take all of them, please. Just, just like <laughs> give me all of them. Yes. My body is ready for this as a comic book <laughs> fan, as a Marvel fan, as an Ultraman fan, give it to me now. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. From what I have heard and what I've read, uh, Ultraman is not, Expected to cross over with any Marvel characters uh, in the Marvel universe. Uh, not to say it, it won't happen, but just from what I've read, it's not it's not being planned. Uh, this is more of like a tribute to the fact that now Marvel has Ultraman, you know, and so kind of like a, a celebration by having him featured uh, on, you know, having some of their characters featured on the cover with. Ultraman uh and covers don't usually especially variant covers don't always, you know, tell you what's going on inside the book. They're more just for fun.
1: Okay, so I was just curious cuz I saw the artwork come across Twitter. <clears throat> excuse me. And I was th- I was thinking to myself, do I That sounds silly. Do I really want I mean, I like Spider-Man, but I'm not the biggest Spider-Man fan. Do I really want Spider-Man and Ultraman to be in the same issue? So
0: yeah. yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it. I don't, like I said, I don't think they're going to be crossing over just because, like, what I've said, what I've what I've read on the interwebs, it doesn't look like that's the plan. But you never say never because you never know. Um, but let's talk about that Alex Ross cover uh, for a second too, though, because the Alex Ross cover looks just amazing. Absolutely. And, and it's no, for anybody who knows comic books, it's no secret that Alex Ross, I mean, he's one of the best artists that, that exists. Um, uh, but I do want to let everyone know, do not feel like this is what the interior artwork is going to look like because Mm. this is not, uh, Alex Ross is not an interior, uh, comic book artist. He right. does not do interior arts. he does a lot of he does uh covers, he does uh a lot of um promo art, but he does not do interiors anymore. um the artist that is doing it, and I had his name written down and I lost it now I don't know what I did with it um but he is an artist that's worked on other books uh he's worked on an Avengers book. he's worked on the a new the new fantastic Four book. Um, that's been going on mm-hmm. and uh, his style is more stylized. Uh, it's more um, cartoony okay. than the Alex Ross one. So, so I don't want people getting their hopes up saying, Oh, this, this artwork on this cover looks amazing. This is what the entire issue is going to look like. It's like, no, no, that's not, that's not what the interior art is going to look like. That's not to say that the interior art isn't going to look great, but just don't expect it to look
1: the same. Well, that's a little disappointing because when I saw that cover, <clears throat> Excuse me. I was thinking because I'm I'm un I am admittedly new to the comic book world. That is something that I really never got into growing up. But mm-hmm. I saw the cover, and the cover is beautiful. So I'm thinking, man, these are going to be so such beautiful books, so such beautiful issues. So you're saying that don't expect the same level. I mean the 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 quality level is still going to be high, but don't expect the same type of artwork or the same level of artwork as say what the front cover is going to indicate.
0: Right. Yeah. Especially because that Alex Ross cover, um, Alex Ross, like he paints, uh, very realistic, um, images like that's, that's his style. He's very realistic and he all, he hand paints it all. Uh, the, the artist that's doing the interiors is very stylized. He's kind of more inspired by, um, manga art uh so he's kind of got the a little bit more uh, exaggerated style to him and uh he doesn't do colors they have a colorist that's going to come in and do the colors so the colors will be added digitally to it okay um so it's it's going to be more stylized and i actually Mm -hmm. have examples of his art that i picked up online um that I'm going to send to you at some point. Uh, I'll send to you soon to let you see what the interior looks like. But yeah, yeah, it's just, it's not going to be that realistic hand painted look that Alex Ross does because that's just, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do interiors anymore and that's not who's working on the interiors.
1: Okay. So it's sort of like how uh, Matt Frank is both a cover artist and an interior artist. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're you're saying that, it's not all. That's not always the case. It's not always the person doing the cover art that's also doing the interior art, and vice versa.
0: Yeah, and more often than not, uh, especially with the with smaller books and and more personal books, it's usually one person doing it all. But with these big companies like Marvel and DC. Mm -hmm. they're more often than not, it's going to be a separate artist doing the cover than it's doing the interiors. And sometimes the interiors are even split between multiple artists, depending on the size of the book.
1: So since I'm the, since I'm the noob and you are more of the expert when it comes to this, um, what would you guess the price point and release schedule is going to be like really quickly? Um, I'm pretty
0: positive that this is going to be a monthly book. Um, I know that Marvel does double billing sometimes, uh, double shipping for some of their books, but I don't think that's going to... That's usually reserved for some of their bigger titles. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so this one's more than likely going to be a monthly title and it's going to probably sit around $3.99 or Mm -hmm. $4.99 USD per book. Okay. And I... Don't know exactly how long the series is going to run, but the typical run length of most series nowadays uh, is 12 issues. So I can see this being a 12 issue run unless it's intended to be shorter.
1: Okay. I was just curious. Um, Yeah. It sounds, sounds like a lot of fun. I know. um, I know I'll be getting in. I know I'll be picking up the issues myself uh, because I'm super interested because as we've talked about before, we're both on our ultra journey. And so this is just going to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. Uh, One of the um, alternative covers that they haven't revealed what it looks like yet, but they do, they did say who's working on it is um, Scotty young. And I really like Scotty young's uh, covers because he does very chibi um, style characters. So Mm -hmm. like he'll do a very um, chibi, looking cutesy very uh, just oh just so so adorable looking okay. ultraman that i'm just looking forward to seeing what he does with that um so yeah and then we're moving on to the next bit of news which is again more ultraman news mill creek entertainment is to drop the birth of ultraman collection july 10th 2020. now this mm-hmm. is a blu-ray set that contains some of the best episodes of the original ultraman series with both the original Japanese language and the classic English dub. Uh, Prices around $19.99 USD and will be available July 10th. Uh, This is also going to include the pre-pre-beer, which was a premiere episode that they basically threw together to help um, spread the word about the show back in 1966 uh, that aired – ahead of the show actually coming to air uh and so they're going to be showing that or having that on the blu-ray set as well
1: yeah this looks this looks like well i was just gonna say this looks super interesting and i was it was i really wasn't expecting it honestly
0: yeah yeah it is kind of weird now i do have i have a uh, message that came through from one of our patreons uh thorax and okay. he asks the question: How do you feel about the Ultraman pre-premiere being put on a separate compilation Blu-ray? I feel that this special feature should have been included on the original release Mill Creek put out a few months ago. I'm still getting it though. Um, and he does bring up a good point there: the English dub audio and this pre-premiere uh, thing that that's getting added why weren't those added to the to the original Blu-ray set that came out just a few months ago?
1: Because this release was probably pre-planned. Um, and so it's just... I don't want to sound cynical and say it was a money grab, but it's probably an excuse just to release uh, an extra product. Because... <clears throat> excuse me. If they would have put both the if they would have put both the English dub and the subtitled versions on the same Blu-rays that we've been getting so far, there would be no point in putting out a release like this. And I have a feeling this will coincide with the release, or at least it'll loosely coincide with the release of the Marvel comic. So Mm -hmm. it would not surprise me that they did work together on this as sort of a, not necessarily a dual release, because I think this comes out uh, in July Mm -hmm. and the Ultraman comic doesn't come out till what September. Um, Yeah. So, and it's the same cover art as the, as the one shown off for the comic book too, for the, the blu-ray sleeve is the same cover art. And uh, I just feel like it was just an extra, it was just a way for them to, Put out a new product and get some extra revenue. I'm personally okay with it. I'm sort of used to uh, these ti- these companies putting out like big titles, and then uh, later on releasing sort of a, a special a special release version uh, a few yeah. months later. So I- I'm sort of used to that. I'm not necessarily surprised that they did it. It just came as a it was just a, it was just came as like a surprise overall that they were going to be doing this. Because I had heard rumblings about them releasing the English dub versions after Mill Creek releases all the subtitled versions, maybe in 2021 or 2022, re-releasing these as the English dubbed versions. But Mm -hmm. I think from what I understand, the problem with that is not every episode has an English dub attached to it. so. Maybe they release another sort of shorter Blu ray set like this one with the English dubbed versions as another quote unquote special edition.
0: Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's what, because that's that's what I'm looking at. Because they don't have this, this Blu ray set is not going to be every episode of the 66 series. This is just, uh, the like a best of compilation. Right. So, and then those are going to have the English dub audio. So to me, this feels weird. It, this seems like it should have been done the other way around. Like they should have put out the the best of with the English dubs first and then come out later on and said, hey, we're going to release the full series of the 66 uh, Ultraman series. And like it just to me, this seems backwards. It's like, well, I've already bought the entire uh, series. What? Other than just having some English dubs and the that pre-premiere special thing, other than that, is there anything in this Blu-ray that's going to make it worth paying for if you've already bought the Ultraman Sixty Six set?
1: Oh, in my opinion, not really. Not really.
0: I'm hoping that
1: maybe they'll come out like
0: you know because they just announced this, um, so maybe they'll come out like maybe next week or so uh and say hey we're also adding this and this and this to the blu-ray set you know just to maybe they'll add some more stuff to it or or say that there's going to be more stuff in it but as of right now i just don't i just don't see why why this is worth buying Mm -hmm. if you're one who already bought that ultraman 66 series um if you're if you're like kind of iffy on Ultraman you're kind of new to Ultraman you don't know where to start you don't know what episodes are the best and where to watch them this I can see this being beneficial to someone like that right but then again the Ultraman the original uh, or the the Ultraman set has been out for so long that those people might have already even bought the original one too so I don't know it's just it is it is really weird
1: it is it is really weird and when I first started collecting the Mill Creek box sets um I was getting both the steelbook and the DVD release one and the regular Blu-ray release one to keep and one to watch mm-hmm. I've since stopped doing that I only did that with Ultra Q and the original Ultra Man because obviously that would have just gotten way way too expensive um mm-hmm. uh, considering steelbooks are around $25, whereas the regular Blu-rays, I want to say rest around $21 to $23. I'm like, it's not, it's a couple of dollars difference, but you know, it adds up. Um, Honestly, this is for people, I feel like that are already invested in Ultraman. Um, And the price point is low enough to where most folks who love the series and who also maybe collect these uh, Blu-rays aren't really gonna blanket 1995 or at at twenty dollars I don't yeah. think so
0: yeah hm it is it is just an interesting thing um but yeah so we can move on from that uh we'll we'll keep yeah. everyone updated if they if they give any updates on it and anything new about it comes up
1: but um, the bottom line is I'm excited I will probably pick up a copy. Uh, I know a lot of folks that I have talked to a lot of folks that plan on as well. So yeah, I'll let you know how it goes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't plan on picking up a copy. I have the, um, Ultraman 66. So, uh, I don't plan on getting this one. Um, even with the Alex Ross, uh, comic book, uh, as part of the sleeve, uh, the cover art as part of the, the Blu-ray sleeve. Um, But yeah, anyway, uh, moving on to the next bit of news. It is uh, some figure news. So NECA, we've talked about this before, actually, on the podcast, but NECA has revealed in a tweet thread from their official Twitter page that the upcoming release for the BioGoji, so that Godzilla 1989 and Kiryu Goji, the uh, Godzilla 2003, the two ones that we talked about how they have an alternative painting uh, for them that's coming out as well will be their final Godzilla releases for the foreseeable future. Uh, okay. And we've talked about this on the podcast before because they, they, they did mention this have before. You or
1: have we, have we, yeah. ta- I, I could not remember if we had talked about when I put this in a notes, I can't remember if this is old news or new or SIM or semi new news. Well, it's it's
0: new news that these figures are going to be the final ones. Um but the person who's in charge of NECA did say in an interview um probably about mm, 3 weeks ago, a month ago, uh that they were going to be taking a break from Godzilla figures. So that's that's uh so we knew that they were going to be taking a break. We didn't know what their last ones were going to be and when they were going to be taking a break, and uh, okay. and w- we all speculated that the reason for that uh, break was going to be because of Playmates. Um, in fact, I think he even mentioned that they didn't want to uh, they didn't want to compete against Playmates, mm-hmm. and f- because Playmates has the licensing for Godzilla versus Kong. So right. as Godzilla versus Kong starts to ramp up they're going to have to take a break now michael does this mean that neca will never make another godzilla figure ever again
1: i don't think so i honestly don't think so
0: yeah um i mean it is interesting that they said for the for the foreseeable future um
1: it, it is and um i've noticed there's a there's quite a few fans of neca that are very upset by this and you know, if you go, I'll put a link to the thread in the show notes, but if you go and read that thread, it gets, I mean, you know, yeah, there's probably a reason to be upset because NECA has become sort of this, this fan favorite among Kaiju collectors because they're affordable and their sculpts don't look half bad. Um, And they come in these really funky alternate color versions. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, sort of the backlash that they've gotten is a little bit unwarranted. People were, as always, as we covered, I think during Rigo, the internet tends to freak out, um, mm-hmm. a little bit more than it should. I know, um, they did recently show pictures off. Uh, and I was going to make some Richard Simmons jokes, uh, during this segment, but I decided not to because they did show (laughs) off a, uh, a new Richard Simmons figure. Yes. You heard me correctly. A Richard Simmons figure by NECA is coming. Um, and a lot of people are really mad about that, that they're releasing a Richard Simmons and not another Godzilla figure, but you know, it is what it is. Um, if they are going to halt production on Godzilla figures for the foreseeable future, expect some of the uh, aftermarket prices on some of the current releases to go up slightly as the market tries to adapt to uh, the idea that there are going to be no new NECA releases uh, for the foreseeable future. The reason those prices, the reason those prices have been able to stay pretty low, is because these are mass pro- mass produced figures. And they still may uh, produce more of the one of the sculpts they already have in their lineup. I'm not saying that they won't. I'm just saying that, you know, you will see some prices on the NECA figures that have already been released go up as the market uh, for them gets a little bit scared that they're not going to get any more in the future.
0: Yeah. Now, it is it is important to note that NECA is not a Godzilla figure maker. Like I mean, no. they they make Godzilla figures, but they are not. That is not their only thing that they do. Um, no, they their do primary,
1: a lot. Of- their primary, I believe, is Alien Predator, mm-hmm. um, and then horror movies. They're big. Their their horror film uh, line of figures is huge for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, An Alien Predator, like I said, and then some other kind of. They do a lot of. They do a lot of odd kind of off the cuff pop culture. yeah and that's what
0: i was thinking they were doing a lot of pop culture ones and that's where this richard simmons yeah uh, Yeah. um i almost said gene simmons richard simmons um one uh it kind of fits in so this is not this is not like it's it, it, it fits in with their brand it is just the kind of um the disappointment that comes from the that we're not going to get any godzilla ones for a while but we are going to get playmates but then that that's a mixed bag on its own um i did find the episode where we talked about it it was the supitaman episode that we oh. did with okay. uh chris from Gargantucast, cast uh and it was there was a, a, an interview on a youtube channel uh randy falk from neca revealed that there may be a brief hiatus period soon where neca isn't allowed to make godzilla figures this is due to playmates toys having the license for godzilla versus kong and the film's owners not wanting there to be any competition even though the companies occupy different areas of the market
1: okay Um, so hiatus not they're not canceling production
0: Right. And that's where the foreseeable future comes in. And that's why I said, like they, he said they are going to take a hiatus, but he didn't say when, and mm-hmm. now we know when they are. Um, now, something else that came up in that interview, which if anybody wants to go back and listen to that episode, you can hear more of our thoughts on it. Um, but he also shared that there are two new Godzilla figures that will be revealed sometime in the near future. Now we already, we know which ones those are. That's the BioGoji and the Kiryu Goji. Right. Uh, the repaints. That's the ones that he was talking about. Additionally, the company apparently still has the rights to some non Godzilla Toho Kaiju that they can put out during this time period. So there's, we're still going to get some Kaiju NECA mm. stuff. We just won't get Godzilla or Kong. Gotcha. For a while.
1: Um, so, so we may get, uh, we may get Gaigan. We may get Anguirus. Um,
0: oh, I would love a NECA guy again. Mm-hmm. love a neck guy we again.
1: possibly may we may get mecha godzilla or cure you cure you would make sense yeah
0: so yeah that's that's it for the news so now let's jump into our main topic we are closing out kaiju weekly's uh sea monster month with a very special sea monster movie uh and so we asked the question what King Kong turned Godzilla film was the first in the franchise to be set on uncharted Island. And we had answers from all over the place. We, we had sure, a ton of it. We
1: sure did. We sure did.
0: So uh, giant monster BS, another podcast that is a uh, uh, friends of ours and a lot of fun. They sent us an answer. Uh, O'Reilly sent us an answer. O'Reilly Carroll on the Facebook group, um, Kaiju groupie, Facebook group. Uh, and they sent us some funny answers. Monster Island Film Vault Nathan sent us Operation Robinson Crusoe, Big Duel in the South Seas, which we're going to talk about that title uh, in, a, in a bit. So he we sent will. that as his guess. Uh, Jimmy from NASA sent Godzilla vs. Gilligan, <laughs> which I really liked.
1: I had to look that up to see if it was real, because that almost sounds like something real. Uh, It does sound
0: like something that did happen. (laughs) It does because, you know,
1: we, we all know we have this, um, we, we all know we have Godzilla meets Batman, Godzilla meets Superman. Mm -hmm. So it would not surprise me that if there was not a comic strip out there somewhere that had Godzilla meeting the crew, uh, on Gilligan's Island.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Daniel from the Godzilla Novelization Project uh, on Twitter sent us "Extreme Kaiju Volleyball, Letchy Island Edition," directed by Jun <laughs> Fukuda, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Uh, Justin Baker said Godzilla versus Kamibus, which Kamibus is the turtle kaiju from uh, the space amoeba, mm-hmm. which is funny that he went with Kamibus instead of Ganymede or Ganime. Which is the actual giant crab? yep, like dude, you missed you missed a, you missed a joke there anyway. I'm just kidding, Justin. It's, you, fine. It, it's great. <laughs> Thank you for your answer. Elijah uh, sent us an answer. He put his through Google Translate and sent it to us in Japanese, but uh, I was able to untranslate it uh, back into English, Elijah. and I can tell you use Google Translate because it's not in the right syntax for Japanese. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, you thought you could pull one over on me. Um, uh, Venet on Twitter sent in, I, I thought this was funny because he just sent in a question. Hey, isn't this the one where Godzilla befriends a beautiful island girl? And isn't this also the one before Manila is born? Yes. Yes.
1: Technically, yes. yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, I just want to read this one out because it gives me practice. Uh, Kyle... Kawachi? Kawachi? That works. Uh, I, I don't know how to say your last name, Kyle. I'm sorry. On Facebook, he sent us Gojira Ebera Mosara Nankai no Daiketo, uh, which is Godzilla, Ebera, Mothra, South Sea uh, duel, giant duel. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, but then uh, then we had a bunch of people who sent in the actual answer, which was Godzilla versus a sea monster, or Ebera horror of the deep. Uh, we had Alex Sperling, G Zilla, Robert rolling, Rollwing, Wing, sorry. Uh, Corey Norris, Brandon Hearst or Royden, uh, Carol, O'Reilly's brother, Michael Hagris, Hargis, Hargis, Hargis. and Hargis, uh, and the Kidderbox on Instagram. So thank you to everyone who sent in your answers. But yeah, our main topic this week is Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, aka Godzilla, or not Godzilla, uh, Ebera, Horror of the Deep from 1966, directed by Jun Fukuda, starring Akira Takarada, Kumi Mizuno, Chotaro Togen, uh, Hideo Sunazuka, Haruo Nakajima as Godzilla, and Hiroshi Sakita as Ebera. And the plot breakdown, real quick, for this. Uh, movie is a young man steals a boat to find his brother, but he and his shipmates become shipwrecked on a mysterious island inhabited by a giant sea monster and a slumbering Godzilla. Okay. So getting into our opening thoughts, what are your opening thoughts on this movie, Michael?
1: This. Okay. So when I first turned this on to watch it, it was a nostalgia trip for sure. It was, it was, I remember watching this movie Uh, growing up now the now the the version i have has to be the criterion channel version because the quality the quality of the video is just too good and the quality of the dub yes i watched the dub don't don't hate me (laughs) um the quality of the dub although questionable does sound nice the the dolby what sounds like uh stereo audio or i don't i'm not sure what they were using uh, for their audio source, but it sounds really nice. And the picture quality is crisp and beautiful. The colors really pop. But anyway, uh, yeah, this movie is a um, nostalgia trip for me, for sure. I, 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 grow, I grew up on this movie. It would come on, I think, AMC or TMC um, when I was a kid and I had an old VHS recording of it as well. And I, as a child, this was one of my favorite Godzilla movies what did you what did you think about it when you first when you first put it on Travis what did you think about it
0: oh I'm right there with you with the nostalgia trip because um I I have said before I I can't really remember what my first Godzilla movie uh that I've ever watched was because uh it was so long ago and I was so young um but more than likely it was this movie it was either this movie or Son of Godzilla because those two were the were the VHSs that that were the oldest of the right. ones that we had. They okay. were the ones we had the longest, so I can imagine them being probably the first ones I saw. So this this being one of the first Godzilla movies I've ever seen and just brought back so many memories of my dad and watching this movie with my dad and I just I, I, yeah it was such a nostalgia trip. I I, I did not go into this thinking that I was going to feel that way. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, I've, I've seen this movie. It's fine. I'm going to, you know, watch it and enjoy it. And then I was like, Oh man, this just brings me back to being a little kid again. (laughs) Um,
1: so I, I 100% agree. I I do. I I don't know what else to say about my initial impressions, except for this is a nostalgia trip, but I'm going to do my best, Travis, not to let nostalgia Cloud my judgment on this particular discussion.
0: Well, I'm telling you right now, nostalgia clouded my judgment because that's
1: why we do this show because it's, it, it hopefully it's well balanced.
0: Yeah. Um. So getting into likes or dislikes, what are some things that you really enjoy about this movie?
1: I I like how different it was. I like how different this film is from the ones that came before it because before. I think the film that came right immediately before this one was Invasion of Astro Monster. Mm -hmm. Um, And up to this, up to that point, we had had sort of Tokyo destruction films. It was all, you know, Kaiju destroying cities and for them to kind of go over and make this on an island. uh, Although that was for budgetary reasons, it really worked. It was really interesting and I can see why this film stands out to a lot of folks because of that, because it is just so different than films that had come before it Uh, because of its location. It's cast is really phenomenal. Honestly, it's got a, it's in, in terms of Godzilla fried and God, in terms of Godzilla and Kaiju films, this really has an all-star cast because you've got Akira Takarata, Kumi Mizuno uh, and some others. And yeah, I I just, I just really liked how I just really like how this one stands apart from the films that had come before it uh before this particular one. Yeah.
0: Right. And and it makes sense because this is Jun Fukuda's first time directing a Godzilla movie. Um he goes on to direct a lot more Godzilla movies, but uh this was his first one and uh yeah, like you said the budget uh the budget was reduced so they had to Uh, get around it and and change the location that they usually film uh godzilla you know it's not destroying cities so they didn't have to build a lot of miniatures and then you also have completely different music than what we had gotten used to because the music in this is not Ifuku bay it's um it's um sato Sato, yeah. yeah uh and 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 so it's, it is different. It is, it is completely different from its predecessors and I like it. I do like that. It's different. Um, I like to call this movie, uh, Godzilla goes tropical because it just, it like you fully, they fully embrace the idea of it being this Island mm-hmm. and, uh, the whole tropical nature of it. And at the time in Japan, the Hawaiian shirts and, and, uh, kind of like beach boogie, uh, style was around and so that came through in this and i just I, I yeah i really love it i really love the overall um tone of this movie and how different it is um one thing that really stands out to me of course in this movie is takarada san
1: of course of
0: course cuz i mean come on I, I i love akira takarada and i i listened or I watched this movie with the subtitles because I had to hear Takarada's voice. I couldn't, I, I couldn't have some weird American uh, speaking for Takarada. <laughs> I had to, I had to be able to
1: hear Takarada-san. <laughs> right. Well, I will, let me back up just for a second, Travis, because you said that this was June Fukuda's first film. I think mm-hmm. this was his second film, right? This because was his, a- because I'm looking at the filmography on Godzilla.com and it says that it was June Fakuda who actually did Invasion of the Astro Monster.
0: Mm, no, when I looked it up, this uh, this was listed as his first. He was an assistant director on that one.
1: Maybe because um, it just I'm looking at Invasion of Astro Monster here. It says executive producer, uh, Tanaka. Uh, director June Fukuda screenplay by Sekizawa. And that's all it really says. It just it. well, it gives you the cast list, but that's it. Yeah. It's, it's listed as his technically his first film, but you know, I just was curious about that because I always assumed that this was his first film also.
0: It, it is uh, i'm double checking it and ishiro honda was okay. the um was the director for invasion of astro monster gotcha. so they they just got their info wrong because uh he might have been because i know he was an assistant director for a little bit on a couple of films so maybe Jun fakuda helped um as an uh, assistant director mm-hmm. but uh no because no i'm seeing koji uh kajita was the assistant director so no. So I don't know where they got that information because this was definitely June Fukuda's first film. And you can tell, you can definitely tell. This mm-hmm. is this is nothing like anything that had come before it. Um and the, the tone and the music and the and that's another reason like Invasion of Astra Monster, um, the had a Fukube, uh doing the soundtrack. The reason why Afukube did not come back for uh Godzilla vs. the sea monster was because Jun Jun Fukuda had taken over as director and he had never worked with Bay before, he had worked with Sato before, and so he wanted to work with Sato, mm-hmm. uh, with the person he was familiar with. So it wouldn't make sense for uh, Invasion of Astro Monster to be his first film because then that why would he switch out composers if he you know that that wouldn't be true, uh, because mm-hmm. he would have worked with Ifukube in the last movie, right. so no, no, this is definitely his first his first movie, his first Godzilla movie.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah. You can honestly, you can definitely tell the difference between Honda's directing style and uh, uh, Fukuda's directing style. How about said Sato? And then you could, but you can also tell the difference between uh, Ikira, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, Ifukube and Sato's musical style, because in this film, it's very upbeat. It's very jazzy, sort of, it's got that beach boys, Uh, Mm -hmm. jazz style to it. You know, everything's just really kind of um, I would say everything is in this film is very youthful. And I think that kind of reflects the direction of what we would see in Godzilla films after this one, where they, where they shifted to a more youthful style, a more family friendly style of filmmaking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Youthful actually is a great, um description of this film like the difference between the the previous films in the godzilla franchise and this one yeah this one is definitely embraces the the japanese youth uh style and Mm -hmm. kind of uh fads that were around at that time and so yeah this definitely has a more youthful feeling to it so yeah you're absolutely right about that um Moving on to to one thing I really liked in this movie was the Red bamboo Army as a villain. now, i we when we reviewed King Kong Escapes, which we'll talk about how this movie and King Kong Escapes are tied in a little bit. But I talked about how much I loved uh, the villains in that because you don't usually get these like super villains. Uh, in Toho movies, you don't get like super uh, the human super villains in Toho movies. You know, they're usually greedy businessmen or they're misguided scientists, things like that. So to just have an evil organization with just the general plan of taking over the world, <laughs> I just, I kind of like that. It was so comic booky, so cartoony and I like it. I like it for that reason.
1: Yeah. Uh- and it's a direct, it's a, actually a direct, um, sort of a direct, a direct reference to, uh, communist China or the red or red China, uh, in this film.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, so, um, is there any other likes that you want to bring up before we move on to dislikes?
1: Um, you know, I, 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 I like how I like how like I said I like how youthful this film is. I like how it feels different from all the other ones, all the other Godzilla films that would come before it, and I think that works to its benefit on, on in some ways. But it also hurts it a little bit for me. We can kind of touch on this in in, in dislikes. Um it there are times in this there are, there are parts in this film that don't really feel like a godzilla film or they just feel a little off mm-hmm.
0: yeah um one of the things i do want just one little moment that's in this movie that i really like is the characters trying to decide whether to wake up godzilla or not i like that it wasn't uh-huh. just an instant oh yeah let's wake up godzilla like there was a debate that went on between them mm-hmm. of like should we because like godzilla is dangerous do we really want to wake him up? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I kind of like that. I like it. Like patch. you're,
1: they're choosing sort of the lesser of two evils. It's either you, you let the red bamboo continue to build this, this heavy water plant and then eventually get their hands on nuclear weapons or you awaken Godzilla and take the risk of him destroying it. But also, you know, he's awake now he can unleash his, Havoc on the world again. Mm-hmm. And so that's just sort of the moral debate that they have to have between themselves. And it's, you're right. It's a really interesting um, conversation that they're going to, that they had amongst themselves uh, during this film.
0: Yeah. Um. So we can get into dislikes now. What are some things you don't sure. like about this movie or didn't like in watching it this time?
1: Ah, uh, wow. Okay. So, <laughs> and this is going to sound this is going to sound really trivial to some, but I really thought that the Mothra puppet looked like trash. Oh yeah. It really, it really didn't look good at all. You can tell. And this is the same when I was looking it up, this is the same puppet from um, Mothra versus Godzilla from 1964. So the, and, and, this puppet looks like it had been beaten, had been beaten up, mm-hmm. and then maybe not stored properly because you can like her fur is all ruffled. It looks mm-hmm. it looks matted. It looks like it's been sitting in a storage unit for a couple of years, which it probably <laughs> yeah, it probably was. <laughs> um, it probably was sitting in a storage unit somewhere, um, and getting beaten on by the heat and 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 harsh weather condition changes and. Um, it just didn't look good. It just didn't look good at all. And neither did the Goji suit. And I know uh, we'll touch on this a little bit later. And that, and the mainly, and because this suit was from Astro Monster, mm-hmm. right? This is the same mm-hmm. one from Astro Monster, the Daisenso Goji. Yeah. Um, And... You know, that suit took a beating in that film as well, because, you know, in 65, the 65 Godzilla from Invasion of Astro Monster is one of my favorite Godzilla suits. I feel like, um, I just feel like it's, I like how crisp and how clean it looks, but this one, however, doesn't look that great. It looks really beaten up, but that's probably because of all the water scenes where this film, what, what that this film was shot in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh and,
0: and yeah, th- this suit was very ratty. It was very falling up. Ab- you know, it's not as rough as Future Godzilla suits are in future movies. Um but mm-hmm. this one is really rough. I agree the Godzilla suit looks really rough and the Mothra part uh prop was really rough and those were two things that really
1: stood out to me while watching this movie. Um well s- since you since you love Mothra and since we're kind of on the subject mm-hmm. What did you think about the new Mothra song for this, for this movie? Oh,
0: I didn't like it. I I don't <laughs> like it. I miss the original muscle. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Like that's the one I want.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, this sounded more. I'm trying to think of the right word to say it sounded. It was different. It was not the same ethereal kind of mm-hmm. worship for better for lack of a better word to use it didn't sound like the same it didn't have that same worshipful right Taunch. yeah
0: it, yeah it sounded more like a uh just a song instead of like mm-hmm. a, a plead uh like in ple- like the the words to it are them pleading with mothra to wake up but the the tone of the the song doesn't sound like that whereas the other version sounds more like them pleading to mothra to wake up come help us and everything so that i had that classic of fuku Bay one i yeah i'm gonna Always go with that one.
1: It's really bad that if that the uh, the canvas painting of Mothra looked better than the puppet herself.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. the The rotoscoped uh, animated little one at the very end of the movie looked better than the puppet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I want to say that was probably taken from. I think that ending scene was stock footage. If I'm not mistaken, that is uh, from 1961 Mothra. I want. Oh to wow! Think. But I'm not. Yeah. 100- I'm not 100% sure, but I think that that scene is stock footage at the very end there.
0: It probably was. It probably was. Um, Yeah. Uh, Some other things that really detract, which we're going to get into now. I'm just going to, this will kind of intro us into talking about this. But, um, well, on the Mothra note, the fact that Mothra is featured so little in this movie almost makes it pointless to have her in it at all Yeah, like that. Yeah, that just seems like what's the point in even having Mothra when you don't really use Mothra that much. But anyway, Um, but yeah, the one thing that really detracted from this film to me was the fact that Godzilla just acts out of character. He does not act like Godzilla. And like you said earlier, it just does not feel like a Godzilla film um, a lot of times. And there's a reason for that. Mm hmm and the reason for that is this wasn't supposed to be a godzilla film you're right yeah uh so uh we talked about in uh king kong escapes that rankin and bass who were doing the are co-producing the uh king kong animated television show in the 60s uh they wanted to do a live action version of that show and so Mm -hmm. they worked with toho and they worked up a script this was the script they came up with this was called operation robinson Crusoe: king kong versus ebra uh, or Ebra. it wasn't close enough to the cartoon to uh, for rankin and bass they kind of like felt like this was too off of what the cartoon was based on uh mm-hmm. or or the storyline of the cartoon and so they push this script aside and they end up uh, redoing it and creating King Kong Escapes, which kind of fell, uh, or followed the animated show more closely. Right. Whereas this film, they decided to, or Toho decided to switch out King Kong with Godzilla. But instead of adapting the script more for Godzilla, they just you know basically pulled King Kong out and just plugged in Godzilla and just ran with it. Mm-hmm. So the, the times when Godzilla is acting out of character, it makes sense with that context because this was supposed to be King Kong. You know, why doesn't he use his fire breath, uh, fire breath, his, uh, his uh, uh, atomic breath when he's fighting uh, Ebra at the beginning of the movie or towards the beginning of the movie? And it's, well, that's because uh, it was supposed to be King Kong. King Kong doesn't have uh, atomic breath. And, right. you know, why does he take a liking to the. Uh, female character in this well because it was supposed to be king kong and king kong's known for that um yeah so i understand why it doesn't feel like a king a a godzilla movie and why godzilla acts out of character that doesn't change the fact that that is a huge problem in this movie Mm -hmm. Um, what are your thoughts
1: it's definitely jarring, I'll be honest with you. Now that, you know, I you it's something you don't really notice as a kid because you don't at the time, you know, we were just watching these films just to enjoy them, right? And right. but it's something you notice more now as you're watching some of these films back, especially since you're watching these films uh, in in a lot of cases back to back and you notice these little things like how um sort of how anthropomorphic Uh, Godzilla was in his emotions and how he sort of uh, reflected the emotion toward Dio, the, the female uh, protagonist. Um, Like you said, that's a trope of the King Kong series, him being attracted to a young woman. Now um, they didn't take it as far as, you know, they probably could have. I'm glad they didn't. They just, it was just sort of a, a brief moment of them meeting eyes and you can tell that Godzilla is infatuated with her, but they don't take it to the full uh, right extent that they could have. And I think that's because they realized if they did, it would become very, very obvious what they, what they did with the script. Yeah.
0: They um, didn't go full 76 King Kong.
1: No, they didn't. They didn't. And there's, <laughs> a of, yeah, I thought it was interesting too, because this is one of the, um this is one of the only, Godzilla films where and it actually may be the only one of the only Godzilla well no okay no that was uh Anguirus and Anguirus didn't have any special abilities either where Godzilla's opponent does not have any real special abilities if this were a true and I hate to use this word if this were a true Godzilla movie Ebra would have been wasted during the first fight because you know atomic breath boom done but they decided to play volleyball instead um, mm-hmm. and that's not knocking. That's not really knocking the movie as a whole. I, I like I said, I like the uniqueness of this film. It's different than what it came before, but it's clearly obvious that, that this is not intended, that this was originally not intended to be a Godzilla film. It was intended to be a King Kong film that was later adapted for Godzilla. And then one point, I think it was one point you brought up that when Godzilla encounters Mothra, godzilla acts as if he's never seen mothra before whereas it was just two films prior that they had an altercation right and that just kind of shows that if you weren't really paying attention or if you didn't know sort of the history there you would just say okay it's another a giant uh flying butterflies coming in godzilla thinks it's an enemy he's gonna attack it you know one and done i mean that's not many people would really read that much into it, but knowing what you and I know about films prior and this film in particular, it's obvious that this was not supposed to be a Godzilla film.
0: Yeah. And one little, which I I think is really funny too. um, One obvious point of, of that in the movie is the fact that they use lightning to wake Godzilla up Mm -hmm. because in, king kong versus godzilla we've already seen that uh king kong can be supercharged with electricity right but the reason why it was done in king kong versus godzilla was because that was originally supposed to be frankenstein versus godzilla and they switched it out but left that scene in which makes you know it makes sense that that Frankenstein would be supercharged with electricity and get more powerful from electricity, but they left it in when, so King Kong gets charged with electricity. So they decided to use that, that same thing again in this movie, uh-huh. but then they switched it out, switched out King Kong with Godzilla. So now Godzilla is getting charged with electricity. It's just this weird, weird little thing that, that is kind of funny.
1: <laughs> it is. And it, but I'll be honest with you. It makes more sense in a way for, Godzilla to be to be able to be recharged with from electricity than it does make necessarily King Kong though, but I yeah. know why they I see why they did it and I see because they're bringing continuity back from sixty two they're bringing continuity around you know from from sixty two, but before we kind of uh, go any further with this I did want to mention it was in our as part of something I actually liked about the film, it was the shots I think it was at the it was it was toward the beginning the beginning of the film. Um, when we first see the Ebera claw, oh yeah, that that really is a fantastic effect. That oh, whole yeah. scene is that whole scene is a really fantastic effect. It is very believable. You almost forget that that is this little probably uh, 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 wooden toy boat in the water in a in a wade pool with this giant uh, claw that's being animated by someone. Uh, under the stage or, or wherever they were at. Uh, it really is a fantastic effect. And so I just, I thought it would be a disservice not to point that out because I don't want it to sound like there are, there's nothing about this movie that we, that we don't like.
0: Oh yeah, no. uh, Yeah. That was a fantastic scene. I definitely had that in my likes. Um, Something else that I did want to circle back around to some more likes. So I'm glad <laughs> that you did that because we did briefly talk about the, the um cast. Uh. I you know we real of course I love Takarada so Takarada san, uh him playing against type he's not playing a very heroic, um character he's kind of playing a a little bit of a scumbag, uh in this movie is uh is kind of kind of cool I like that because Takarada is you know in in previous to this he was the hero who was just because he was such a heartthrob. But then you know to play against that type and be kind of a, a more of a scummy character was really interesting. Um, but let's talk about we we did we did on the back channel a little bit. But let's talk about Kumi Mizuno because oh, yeah, okay. she prior to this movie she had been in Invasion of Astro Monster and she had been in uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World and somehow in this movie. She looks younger than what she did in those movies. And those movies were years before this one. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday when we were both watching the movie. And um, yeah, it's interesting how the movie prior to this, she looks so much older now. Granted, she still, she still is a very beautiful woman in Astro monster and in, um, uh, Frankenstein versus Barragon. but for some reason she just looks so young here. It almost, it, it almost, in a way, doesn't even look like her. And so it's probably um, maybe a little bit of that fake tan they gave her. Yeah, that's what I was going
0: to say. That fake tan's probably helping it out a lot.
1: <laughs> the, the fake tan, maybe a little bit of makeup. The way they, you know, her uh, her outfit, they sort of a um, a more form-fitting outfit to make her appear younger. Uh, you know, typically brighter colors, uh, like they used in this film, will make you appear a little bit younger. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it was just kind of, it was just, it was not off-putting. It was really, it,
0: yeah, it, it was just interesting, was just interesting um,
1: because you, it really doesn't, in a way, doesn't even look like her.
0: Yeah, yeah, it um, yeah, I had to be reminded that it was her because I was like, I, I forgot for a moment that it was even her. Um, right. That being said, her acting just like always cuz she's she is a good actress she's my favorite part of Godzilla versus Baragon. or not Godzilla versus Bar- um Frankenstein versus Baragon. right um yeah. but in this her acting is again really good and she's smart and capable and even though you know she's you know she's not she's not a naive islander she's an islander who's you know not out of her depth she can handle herself. Right. And I, I really liked her character in this. I think she did a great job. I mean, like, and like you said, all of the characters worked really well in this.
1: Yeah. I, I think that all, I think the cast is, is really fantastic. And I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't the cast working on this and while Honda and his team were working on King Kong, King Kong escapes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So yeah, it was, uh, uh yeah it's it it is really uh, it's a great cast i do love it it is one of the things that Jun fakuda does really well in all of his movies is he uses the kaiju action to punctuate the human drama and oh yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely
0: yeah and and that's that's uh, it's not completely unique to him i mean ishiro honda definitely does that too but usually the the human drama in in Honda's films the human drama is tied directly to the drama of the kaiju, whereas in Fukuda films the the human drama doesn't necessarily cross over with the kaiju drama or the kaiju fights until it does. You know it's mm-hmm. like you know it's like there's nothing there's nothing about the human drama that ties it directly to Godzilla until yeah. they use Godzilla to escape from the red, the uh, red bamboo army. So, uh, that's just, that is a, a, uh, a style of Fukuda's directing that you see in this one and also in his future movies.
1: Mm-hmm. It is absolutely.
0: Um, anything else that you want to bring up before we move on to our final thoughts and our
1: Godzuki rating? Um, well, uh, just, I guess this would be considered a, uh, fun fact. Uh, it, in the fun facts, we have the underwater scenes were filmed indoors, filmed indoors through a water-filled tank. Some scenes were not shot. Some scenes were shot with Godzilla underwater as well, which is one of the reasons why the suit looked so trashed by the end of this film. So yeah, they were actually shooting things underwater in a tank, which leads to it, which lends to its believability. Uh, but it's better than you know superimposing these kaiju uh, against a green screen, but that's one of the reasons why, you know, the suits look so bad, but toward, you know, toward, especially toward the end of the film, especially uh, where um, uh, the last 15 minutes I said were probably the best parts of the film. When everything, when all the action, when the building's getting ready to blow up because, you know, they set off the reactor uh, mm-hmm. You can really feel the tension in those moments where they're trying to escape the island. Mothra's on her way to save everybody. Uh, Godzilla shows up. He's already defeated Ebera, Uh, but he stands in the way of you know everyone escaping because you think he's going to battle Mothra. That doesn't actually happen. Uh, And then the tension of Godzilla. Now the, the protagonists now feel sorry for Godzilla. So they try to, well, they yell for him to leave the Island, which he eventually, he eventually does. Whether he, whether you want to believe he heard them or not. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, Another fun fact that we can throw in there too, is that while filming this movie, uh, they did lend the suit, the Godzilla suit well, at least the head of the Godzilla suit over to Suburaya Productions to be used in an episode of Ultraman where he was where it was grafted onto the um, suit from Mothra versus Godzilla and made into the monster giraffe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was trying to think I was trying to think if they use I knew they used the head. I was just trying to think of which uh, Godzilla suit they lended for the body or if this was or if the one for Jiros Jiros, um, was just a modified 66.
0: Yeah, there was the head of 66 and the body of Masugoji.
1: All right. Best of two worlds. There we go. Yep. (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah. So now we can get into our godzuki score for anyone who is new to our podcast we like to rank our movies out of five godzukis because we like to embrace the silly side of kaiju movies and so we use the great godzuki uh godzilla's bumbling nephew from uh the hanna-barbera cartoon as our yardstick for these movies so michael what is your godzuki score for this movie
1: Okay, well, uh, let me read my final thoughts, and then I'll get into my uh, overall Godzuki score for that, which I think if i if you give if I give you my thoughts first, that'll give some context as to what my why I ended up with the score I did. Um, okay so if I base this if I base this review on nostalgia alone, I would give it a five out of five. but I can't. i'm if I'm being honest, that's not saying this isn't th- that's not saying that this I don't like the film. With Jun Fukuda taking the franchise in a new direction and into a more into more tropical surroundings, it's a nice change of pace and one I really appreciate. This film is unlike what we've seen before in the franchise up to this point. The human story takes center stage with the kaiju action playing second fiddle for the most part. The scenes where we get uh, where we get Godzilla and Ebra are fun but don't feel overly satisfying as they did in even Astro Monster or uh King Ghidorah or Ghidorah the three-headed monster. Um as much as I hate to admit it even though this movie even though this movie had Godzilla in it it didn't really feel like a Godzilla movie to me. That's mainly because of what we talked about when we mentioned it was originally planned not to be a Godzilla movie but a Kong film instead. As much love as I have for this film it's still not enough for me it's cr- still not enough for it to crack the top 10 of my Godzilla list. Although I will say it's not far behind hovering somewhere within the top 15, mainly for how unique it was to the franchise at this point. So with all that said, um, I'm going to go ahead and give this film a 3.5 out of five. If I look at it objectively.
0: Okay. Now I completely respect that. That is a completely respectable thing. Um, for me, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, It brought back so many good memories of being a kid and watching it with my dad. I love the island setting. Uh, It was definitely a breath of fresh air to the series Mm -hmm. And uh, I like the the change in directing styles. Um, It's exciting to see a new take on Godzilla, you know, in the series when you get into this. Um, I like Jun Fukuda's way, like I said, of how he uses the kaiju action to punctuate the human drama or the human, you know, story. And I think that's really great. I enjoy those. Uh, That being said, I do have a lot of the same problems that you have with the movie. Of course it's you know, it, It's not a perfect film. It doesn't feel like a Godzilla film at times. Um, But all of that being said, just because a big part of, of my score comes down to nostalgia because I just love this movie as a kid and I love it now. And it reminds me of being a kid. So I give it a four out of five. Okay. And it's probably my second favorite Fukuda directed Godzilla film. Um, The first, the first being Gigan. (laughs)
1: Okay. All right, and that is and that is completely uh it's completely understandable I can see why I can see why people like this film i I don't hate the film i it's not my favorite, but I actually legitimately like the film, but I just had to for the purposes of this review i had to take it in with a more objective eye you you know
0: yeah yeah i understand well let's jump into our final segment for this episode and let's try to quickly get through it uh it <laughs> is our kaiju clash kaiju clash Fight. So we talked about the results from the last Kaiju Clash uh, being that Biolante won and Legion lost. So following our rule of uh, loser goes first and the next time, I'm going first on this one. Okay, go for it. So this time around, we're pitting Gigan against Gamera, but only the Showa versions of the characters. So I have Gaigan. Gigan is cybernetically enhanced which means he is uh just built for fighting he is armored to the beak and full of sharp weapons and sharp edges and he is so much fun to watch he's very fast for his size and he's able to draw blood from Godzilla, something that no other Kaiju was able to do before that. He survived a fight with Godzilla twice and was alive to tell the tale. So I'm going with Gaigan Gigan would own Gamera, the Showa Gamera. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. And we did set these, we did set those stipulations. It had to be the Showa Gamera because if we, if we're speaking realistically, if I would have chosen Heisei Gamera, there'd be no contest. Um, so, okay, so you're saying that Gaigan was the first kaiju to ever draw blood from Godzilla. But Godzilla, as much as I like the big guy, doesn't have this massive carapace on his back. He has, it, he has a durable hide, don't get me wrong, but he doesn't have this basically this armor guarding him on his body and Gamera is able. He is fully able. And we've seen it even in the show era, he is able to take a beating and still keep coming. What, what the main thing, the main benefit, the main um, ability that Gamera has that I really feel like would put him over the top and, and propel him to victory here is the fact that he never gives up even though it is a trope of the franchise i will admit that gamera typically loses the first battle and he and gamera has bled a lot let's not i'm not i'm not (laughs) not arguing yes i'm not going i'm not going to argue that gamera has bled a lot but gamera is also very durable and he also has the ability to um to heal himself uh we've seen it we saw it in gauss we saw it in uh, Bar- in his in his battle with Barugon. We saw it even in I believe uh, in his battle with Giron. Uh, he has the ability to recover from from pretty devastating attacks, and I would assume the way he would tackle Gigan is using a similar approach as to what Angirus did in um, Godzilla versus Gigan, where he would use that carapace. To his advantage, and just ram Guyan as much as he as hard and as much as he possibly can to knock him off of his feet, and then eventually use his fire breath to burn him alive. And if we all know, um, let's just be honest: Showa Guyan is not the bravest kaiju of the bunch either. I imagine that Showa Gigan, if met with any kind of opposition at all from Gamera, would turn tail and run fairly quickly. Gigan is an opportunist. He is not a leader among the Kaiju uh, monster army, however you want to say that. Geigen is a follower. He is just a foot soldier. He's a hired gun. He's a mercenary. But you know what? He doesn't he, he's not a very brave mercenary. Let's just say that. So I would say that if Gamera puts up any fight whatsoever, Geigen, for lack of a better term, is gonna chicken out.
0: Mm, mm, I like I like I like the chicken reference. <laughs> Big chicken. Um What you consider cowardice, I consider tactical retreat. We're talking about, we're talking about a Kaiju that survived fighting Godzilla twice. That is something that not many Kaiju can put on their resume. Gamera, yes, has the carapace. The carapace has been shown to be able to be punctured by sharp weapons. In Gamera versus Giron or Guiron when Giron attacks Gamera with his big bladed nose it is shown to actually draw blood from his shell so that shell is not as durable as you'd like to think and like I said Gigan is full of sharp edges he has that saw blade in Mm -hmm. his stomach that can rip through Gamma, like nothing else another thing that Gigan has going for him is his ability to fly he can fly so but not Gamera, only can he Gamera fly, can
1: fly too don't forget that
0: yes Gamera can fly but Gamma flies a lot slower than Gigan does because Gigan is able to travel from another galaxy to earth relatively quickly Whereas Gamera had trouble keeping up with a spaceship in Giron that was just flying to another planet within the same solar system. So Gaigan is definitely faster. So I feel like uh, Gamera would be overwhelmed with Gaigan's speed as he flew by and used that chainsaw blade uh, stomach thing to just rip right into Gamera.
1: Okay, so... All Gamera has to do is just shell up. And I know that's a real, that's a cop out. I get that. But really, all Gamera has to do here is retreat inside of his shell and pick his moments. And I really think that Gamera will choose the right moment to latch his turtly claws into Gigan and just rip that beak right off of his face. Because let's face it. Because let's face it, Travis. The only reason, the only reason, Gigan even stood a chance against Godzilla is because he had King Ghidorah right there by his side. And the only reason he had a chance, I will say this, and I will stand by it. Is because he had Megalon right there by his side as the ta- as his tag team partner. Geigen cannot win a battle on his own. He has to have help. I do not believe whatsoever that Geigen has the guts or the fortitude to withstand a one on one assault from a, a gigantic flying fidget spinner like gamera.
0: <laughs>
1: See, I I view
0: it as Gigant held his own in those fights despite being teamed up with Megalon. <laughs> because to me, Megalon was more of a hindrance than he was <laughs> an ally.
1: You know, to that Gigan. may be an outlier. That may actually be an outlier situation. Whereas you you I will concede that little I will concede a little bit that, that Megalon was not very helpful but he was helpful enough he was helpful enough where his attacks were his attacks seemed well more way more effective uh, at bringing down jet jaguar or or godzilla than even guyganstig
0: well we ultimately cannot come to a consensus between the two of us so we are going to have to leave it up to our listeners to make the decision so michael how about you let the listeners know how they can help us decide who wins
1: in this epic battle. Absolutely. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to take the clip, we're going to take this portion of the episode. We're going to upload it to YouTube as its own separate clip. And that and let's just say if you're not on if you're not subscribed to our Kaiju Weekly our Kaiju Weekly YouTube channel, you're missing out because you're missing uh clips just like this that we only put On YouTube. We're not making a separate podcast. We're not making bonus episodes for these kaiju clashes. We're only putting them on YouTube So you have to subscribe to the YouTube channel to get these videos or to get these audio Anyway, we're gonna post the video we're gonna post the audio to YouTube. We're gonna then we're gonna post it to the kaiju groupie Facebook group along with a public poll. And if you're a part of the kaiju groupie Facebook group, you can vote between either the Showa Gigan or the better choice, which is the Showa Gamera. <laughs> um, so if you're a part of that group, I recommend you join. It's a fantastic group. We do a lot of fun things there just like this, but we're gonna post that poll to the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group as well as we're going to post a poll to the Kaiju Weekly Twitter page. and You're going to be able to vote there. We take results from both the both Facebook and uh, Twitter and we combine them together to get an overall score. And that I feel like that is the best way we can handle it uh, to get an, uh, a better consensus of what the community is saying, because not everybody who follows us on Twitter is in the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group and vice versa. So it's a good cross section of the fan base to get a good representation of who they think would win this epic battle between Showa Gamera and Showa Gigan. So please look out for that. Uh, Again, subscribe to the Kaiju Groupie. I'm sorry, not the Kaiju Groupie. Subscribe to the Kaiju Weekly YouTube channel, uh, join the kaiju groupie Facebook group and follow kaiju weekly on Twitter for all of these polls and fun information so that you can be a part of this conversation and ultimately propel me and Gamera to victory. Boo. Boo <laughs> boo. Okay. That's what you get. That's what you get for letting me do the promo, Travis. Maybe you should do it next time yourself.
0: all right well that is it for this episode so uh before we close out i want to go ahead and ask the trivia question for next week's episode uh something that's going to hint to next week now i do want to say uh just right off the bat i am going to be moving house uh very soon so we are going to be recording uh these episodes in advance so we may not be able to cover the news Uh, as well as what we have been, which some people may be relieved of because they may not like the news segment. But uh, we're still going to try to cover the news as best we can, but just giving you guys a heads up. The trivia question for next week's episode. What film is loosely based on the 1900 Japanese adventure novel, The Undersea Warship, a fantastic tale of island adventure?
1: Ooh, I like that. Hmm. I don't, I don't know if I know this one myself.
0: So you can send your answers uh, over to us on Twitter at Kaiju Weekly. Uh, you can also do it on Instagram at Kaiju Weekly Pod. You can also email us uh, Kaiju Weekly at gmail.com. You can also do it on the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you want to follow us on all the social medias, do it on all of those platforms because we're – We're on all of those platforms, including YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel because we want to get over 100 subscribers by the end of this month. Do that. Uh, You can send questions, comments, or answers to trivia questions to our email, kaijuweekly at gmail.com. You can also find us at the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group. Uh, Also, follow uh, at the Kaiju Groupie pod. Or at Kaiju Groupie Pod, which is Michael, uh, and the Kaiju Groupie on Twitter and Instagram. We want to say a big thank you to Brian Shijir and Thorax for supporting us on Patreon. You can also support the podcast at Patreon.com/slash Kaiju Weekly Pod, or simply by leaving us a review on iTunes. And so, until next time, we're going to say. Uh, Help control the sea monster population. Have your giant shrimp spayed or neutered.
1: (laughs) Sayonara. (laughs) Bye, guys.